Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Hosea's prophecy. We'll look at chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. The text is printed in the bulletin for you also. Hosea 2. Let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, as we come to consider your word this morning, we need your help. We ask for your help. We're glad to have your help because you're the kind of God who loves to help even people like us to understand you better, to understand our relationship with you better. So we pray that you would show us your love through Jesus Christ this morning as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you're my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I picked a bad text for us for Advent. (laughs) This is hard to understand. It's, It's hard to understand It's actually difficult uh, as a prophecy to read, and not just because it's confusing. It took kind of a lot of work for me to even get something together for you this morning. Not just because it's confusing, but actually because it's so gut-wrenching. It's a very difficult passage. It's a very difficult book, Hosea's Prophecy, for us, because it's so gut-wrenching. It's a book about love. Ultimately, it's a book about God's love for his people and their love for him. When you hear the word love, biblically speaking, you should be prepared for your gut to be wrenched. Um, The Bible very frequently likens the relationship between God and his people to the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. So right there, you're already beginning to understand that we're going to be talking about some very difficult stuff this morning. The Bible talks about God's love for his people as the, the same kind of love. It's pictured in a marriage relationship, and we all know that's not the easiest thing in the world. So marriage is supposed to be a beautiful relationship of love where the lovers enjoy each other in true intimacy. They, They enjoy each other in deep, mutual knowledge of each other in body and soul. The marriage relationship is so important to becoming one flesh, the way the Bible talks about it. The marriage relationship is so important that it redefines your identity. 
This is something that's reflected in, um, in the renaming that takes place in a marriage, where, at least in our culture, it's been traditional to, um, for, for the woman to adopt the man's name. Right? So there's a renaming that takes place. It's a redefinition of our identities that takes place when we become married. <clears throat> and, um, and spouses belong entirely to one another. Their love is meant to be characterized by faithfulness and devotion. Um, and that's a vision of marriage that we have because God's love is like that. Because God's love is beautiful and intimate and faithful and true, and that's what His love is like that doesn't describe His spouse very well at all. Hosea is the object lesson. The man and his marriage in the book of Hosea the man and his marriage are the picture that we need to see to understand the Lord and his relationship to his people. They're not going to make a romantic comedy from this story anytime soon, right? Not from Hosea's story. The name Hosea, almost like a side note here, the name Hosea comes from the same um, verb that uh, Joshua comes from, which also Jesus comes from. They're all very closely related, basically meaning God saves. That's what Hosea means. So this is from the beginning of Hosea's book in uh, chapter 1, the first couple of verses. It says, when the, Lord's, when, the, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. You heard that right. I told you this would be gut-wrenching. God says to Hosea, let's do a role play. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a role play where you, you get to have a, a husband and a wife, except it's for real in your life. Let's do role play. You get to play God. Go marry someone. Go love someone. Go give yourself to someone who will break your heart, who will cheat on you with other men, who will have children by those other men. Marriage between uh, any two sinners is always going to be painful, always going to be difficult, but this is one of the worst things imaginable. I don't even like to think about betrayal that deep, that painful. I don't even want to think about it. But what God's saying is that this is what it's like to be Him. This is what it's like to be God in this relationship with, with God and His people being like a marriage relationship God isn't toying with Hosea. He's not playing a cruel trick on him. He's deadly serious about Hosea's calling and what it means and what it signifies, what it communicates about God and his love. God is the true lover who has been betrayed. He's been betrayed, and we need to know what that means. This is in the Bible for us to understand something about God and our relationship with him. We need to know what it means that God is the true lover who's been betrayed. We need to know what kind of damage we've inflicted to our relationship with God because of our sin in, our, in our, what, what the Bible calls spiritual adultery. Right? That's the picture that's being drawn throughout the book of Hosea for us is that, uh, that our sin amounts to spiritual adultery. It's idolatry. It's a pursuit. It's a going hard after false gods. Right? That's 
spiritual adultery in our relationship with God. False gods are the things that we look to for life. We look to those things for comfort and pleasure and security. And these are the very things that a bride should be looking to her husband for. That's what we would hope to see. We give ourselves away, though, um, instead of to God, we give ourselves away with abandon to things like money or career or education or sex or family, children, all fine things, all good things, really. Um, But we give ourselves away to these things with abandon because we hope to get love from them that will sustain us in life. And when we do that, when we look to anything, whether it's good or evil, when we look to anything except to the one true God for our ultimate good, for life, for all of our fulfillment, then we betray God, who is our maker, and he's our husband. Uh, We betray him like Gomer betrayed Hosea and had children by other men and children who received pretty strange names, we probably would think. Um, uh, No Mercy was her daughter's name, and uh, Not My People was her son's name, who were uh, conceived illegitimately. So it's, it's a disturbing picture, but we need to see it. We need to, we need to know what it means so that we can know what it means that, um, that God continues to love us in spite of our adultery, in spite of our spiritual adultery in our relationship with God, God continues to love us. What does it mean that God loves his bride who has been serially unfaithful to him? What kind of love is this when there's nothing lovely in us that he would still shower us with his love, that he would still give himself to us? What kind of love is that? One of the big things throughout the scriptures and in Hosea's uh, book is that it's, it's a jealous love. It's a jealous love. God doesn't Say, okay, yeah, go ahead. Go after all these false gods. Give yourself to them. Look for intimacy and and comfort and pleasure and security with these things. No, God's anger burns at his bride for the deep betrayal. God's anger burns at his people for their betrayal, just as you can imagine rage at discovering your spouse's unfaithfulness. In fact, this uh, this is the essence of God's righteous anger. That's the essence of when we talk about God's righteous wrath, his righteous anger, the essence of it is his jealousy. It's his jealous love. There's a reference in our passage to the Valley of Achor. Uh, Probably doesn't mean anything to you, but let me explain it. The people of Israel, historically, they'd been delivered out of the land of Egypt, the house of slavery, right, where, where the people of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt. They, they were delivered out in the Exodus. You can read about it in the book, Exodus. Um, they, were, they were being brought into the promised land in Canaan where they would enjoy their relationship with God in peace and security and, and in abundance because the land is a very fertile land. <clears throat> so they were in the wilderness, though, between Egypt and the promised land. There was this wilderness time, the wilderness wanderings, partly as a punishment for their own sin and partly to train them in faithfulness to the Lord, who's their husband. It's sort of like a honeymoon period. It's just them and God out there in the wilderness, not the place we all pay a lot of money to go on a honeymoon to, 
but, but it's just them and God, and there's no one else, and there's nothing else to distract them. Everything else has been stripped away in their wilderness experience. Everything else, all the potential for false gods, it's all been stripped away, and it's just them and God out in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're emerging from this time, this sort of honeymoon period, this sort of training and faithfulness to the Lord. They're emerging from this into their, what is supposed to be kind of the, the regular marriage now, into the promised land. And they had just triumphed in battle over Jericho. Remember the story where Joshua leads the people around the walls of Jericho, and they blow the trumpets, and the whole city collapses, and they take it, right? <clears throat> so they had just triumphed in battle over Jericho. They were instructed to take all the wealth, everything that was in the city, and to devote it to destruction, to de- actually not plunder and pillage all the wealth and treasures of Jericho, but to destroy it all as a symbol of their complete devotion to the Lord. Say, these things, this gold and silver, this is not going to stand in between us. We're not going to give our hearts to these things as false gods. We're going to love you. We're going to be faithful to you. We don't need these things. And so, um, so they were to be destroyed, but but Achan, there's one fellow named Achan, his heart went after the silver and gold, and he kept some for himself. And, uh, and God's anger burned against all the people for that. And God's anger burned against Achan. He committed spiritual adultery, and he and all of his family were destroyed for it because of God's jealousy, because of his righteous anger, his burning, jealous love. His, his anger, his love, it was the death of the spiritual adulterer, the idolater. And what God says through Hosea, the prophet, in our passage is this, that that love, his jealous love, even his anger, doesn't ultimately mean death. It actually ultimately means our life. It means our life. It's, it's actually good news for us that God gets angry like this because of his love, and even exercises his anger like this in his love. He says in um, <clears throat> verses 14 and 15, there at the beginning of the passage, therefore behold, I will allure her. So he's talking about his people Israel who have been in the land for centuries and they've been unfaithful to him, going after idols again, going after false gods, giving themselves with abandon, pursuing um, these other lovers gods who are not gods. And he says of his people, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, that place where Achan was destroyed for his spiritual adultery, make the valley of Achor a door of hope. So God was going to bring his people, ancient Israel, to desolate places, to places nobody wants to go to, where everything's stripped away, where all the false gods, all the potential for idolatry and spiritual adultery is stripped away and there's just you and God. He's going to bring his people to these desolate places as an act of his tender love. He's going to allure her into the wilderness. In his jealous love, he would strike, just like he struck Achan. In his righteous anger, his jealous love, he would strike and the blow, instead of just bringing destruction in the Valley of Achor, it would, it would make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. It would bring healing and hope for his righteous anger to strike. 
in the wilderness, in the very moment of his righteous anger, he would give to his people their vineyards, their abundance, good life with him. He would give them their vineyards and bring them to the true promised land out in the wilderness in the moment of his righteous anger. And so when God's own son, Jesus Christ, came into the world, he began his ministry by returning to the honeymoon spot, by going out into the wilderness to meet his bride and to call her, call her out to himself, to allure her into the wilderness where he was, to call her to himself in repentance and faith and to wash her with the water of baptism and his tender words to her. And as he went through his life, as he went toward his death, as he went to the cross, in solidarity with his bride, his beloved, he took her sins upon himself, the sins of Achan, the sins of the spiritual adulterer, the adulterous spouse. He took her sins upon himself, all the idolatry of his people, and he suffered the strike of God's righteous anger, his jealous love. He suffered the strike in our place. And in that moment, Jesus Christ himself became a door of hope. He became a door to healing and restoration. Through him, through his suffering, through his dying, in our place, God has restored to us a relationship of love with himself. It's in the moment of Jesus' death when, when the hammer of God's love is coming down most fiercely on him at the cross that there we're given our vineyards, there we're given our life and our hope and our relationship to God. In Christ, we belong to God and he belongs to us. Our relationship's been restored like estranged spouses reunited. And now because of Christ, we see that the reasons for all the righteous anger of God all along, every time, that he's, he's reaching out with his righteous anger and his jealous love, the reason for it, whether it's in the punishments of Israel, historically, through the scriptures, or whether it's in our being brought low in our lives, the things that we feel are punishments, it's for our salvation. Ultimately, all along, it's been for our salvation. Remember, Hosea means God saves. You might think of Hosea as a pretty bleak prophecy, um, if you're familiar with it at all, but it's about God's salvation, even the hard parts. Hosea's story is a story of salvation, even if a big part of it is about the destructive judgment of God on Israel, on his people. The reason for all the righteous anger is to bring us to a place where we say, we have nothing but the Lord, but we have the Lord. All other lovers are false, but he is true. And he's able to love us when we're untrue. And he's able to bring us back to himself when we're untrue. And he's done it. He's done it in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 16, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal. Baal is one of the ancient Canaanite gods, the, the god of uh, fertility and agriculture. Um, so you'll, you'll no longer mistake all the blessings in your life. You'll no, no longer attribute them to that false god. You'll look at me and you'll attribute everything that you have to me. I'm your husband. I'm the one who's taking care of you. And I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice 
In steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So he says, in that day, he's talking about the day of Jesus Christ, ultimately. He says to you, because of Jesus, you'll no longer mistake me for some other God who's not a God. You'll know me. Because you know me through Jesus Christ, who is truly God. In Christ, I'll make you forget your other lovers. And in Christ, you'll call me bridegroom. You'll call me husband. When you cry out in divine, ecstatic love, it'll be my name on your lips. You will know me. You will know me. In the Bible, that's, that's a pretty heavy-duty word, right? It doesn't just mean knowing stuff intellectually about somebody. It means really knowing them personally at very deep levels. It's, it's actually frequently used for sexual knowledge, that level of intimacy. You're, gonna, you're going to know me. You're going to enjoy real intimacy with me. And these are his wedding vows to you. He says, I will, in this passage, 14 times. I will. I will do these things. He makes his vows to you like Hosea made vows to Gomer. To somebody that, that he probably picked out for her promiscuity. Right? Not a good wife to choose. We're not a good people. Nevertheless, God makes vows to us and he pledges himself to us and he gives himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Apparently, you can't out God's love. <clears throat> Sounds like a pretty strong statement, but if, if Gomer and Hosea are a good picture for what God's love is like, and Gomer was serially unfaithful, to Hosea, um, we're seriously, serially unfaithful to God, and apparently that doesn't stop his gracious love. He's pledged himself to you. He's wrapped up his identity with yours. He belongs to you, and you belong to him. He's named himself as your husband, and he's renamed you Glorious Bride. He wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to make you lie down in security, as the text says. He knows what's best for you, and he gives it to you as he gives himself to you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So you're his beloved. And that says more about his love than it does about your loveliness. You're deserving that love. It says more about his love to say you are the beloved of God. So the first thing that a Christian is, is someone who knows himself or herself to be a recipient of unimaginable, undeserved love. That's the first thing a Christian is. It's a compelling love. It's a beautiful love. It's a transforming love. It's a love to imitate. How great would it be to love fully and faithfully? How great would it be to enjoy deep mutual knowledge of each other in our marriages in the first place without holding ourselves back from each other? really opening up our lives to each other. How great would it be? How great would it be to be able to forgive the most serious betrayals and to see the good days restored and, and even surpassed? How great would it be? How great would it be to offer this kind of true love to the world, to carry it out in all of our relationships, a love that overlooks wrongs and forgives real pain, forgives real grievances and sins, a love that aims 
at real reconciliation and, and friendly unity. How great would that be? That's divine love. That's, that's royal love. And it's ours in the gospel, and we can share it with others as we introduce them to the divine bridegroom, the lover of our souls. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, you've given a picture of your son throughout the scriptures as the great king and, uh, and great bridegroom, the great husband to a not-so-great people, people like us who have turned away from you, who have pursued other gods and pursued other lovers spiritually, even though we've given ourselves away to the, the wrong things. Um, nevertheless, you do not turn away from us. You've pursued us. You've tracked us down in your love. You've sent your Son to deliver us and rescue us and woo us back to yourself, to allure us to a place where we know that you really are all that we have and you're all that we want. You're all that we could ever need. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in the person of your Son as one who comes after a wayward, straying, promiscuous bride. We thank you for not sparing your Son but giving him up for us. We thank you for his sacrifice of love fact that he poured himself out even to a death on a cross in order to win us back to himself. We pray that it would be effective in our lives through your Holy Spirit. We pray that this vision of Jesus as the great bridegroom would be compelling, that we would love you because you first loved us. We pray that you would transform us into the kind of people who reflect your great love, your true love in this world, in all of our relationships, so that people would know who you really are, the lover of our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.